Well, what would it take to give your life purpose and meaning? Are you waiting for someone or something? Or are you waiting for some inspiration? Well, how about I give you some free unsolicited inspiration in the form of quotes? Will this change your life? Tony Robbins said, by changing nothing, nothing changes. Helen Keller says, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Abraham Lincoln said, in the end, it's not the years in your life that count, it's the life in your years. And Christian author C.S. Lewis says, getting over a painful experience is much like crossing monkey bars. You have to let go at some point in order to move forward. Well, are you inspired? Did you focus on what was said or did you focus on who said it? Did you give more weight to quotes from people you do know and less weight to people you don't know? And did the ones from the people you do know have more meaning for you? Well, these words are going to receive mixed responses because none of us have a personal relationship with any of these people and also because the majority of them are dead. Now, these words or the people who have said them aren't really going to change, uh, give our lives purpose or meaning, are they? especially if we've never heard of them or we have no relationship with them. But what about a more serious word from someone closer to you? I had a mixed relationship with my dad and my, and my brother, but 10 years ago, my brother called me with words that changed my life. He said, our dad's in hospital. He's had a stroke. He's probably not going to make it. Now, the message from my brother was clear and direct, and I had a relationship with him so I could trust the word. My dad was in dire circumstances, and sadly, this word came true, and it was a tragedy for my family. But what about the God of the Bible? What if God himself spoke to you? Would you recognize his voice? What if his word doesn't bring good news? What if it comes true? Would his word give you meaning and purpose? Well, at the time of 1 Samuel 3, the word of the Lord was rare and Israel was waiting for an inspired word from God. God is going to speak directly to Samuel, giving Samuel purpose as his prophet. But God is going to speak directly against Eli and his sons, sparking tragedy for his family. So to help us, I've divided this talk up into three parts, which you can also follow in the outline, in the app or on our website. Number one, where are we? Number two, here I am. And number three, he is already here. So I encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we see what happens in this story. But before we begin, let's ask God to help us interpret this story. Will you pray with me? Uh, dear Lord, as we uh, open up your word today, uh, we ask that you will uh, free us from distractions, help us to focus on the narrative, help us to focus on what you're saying to us, give us your Holy Spirit to interpret these words, and please uh, speak a word into our lives as well. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so where are we? So the biblical setting for this, um, the book of Samuel takes place after the time of the judges. And this is a time where Israel is doing evil by worshipping other gods. And as a response, God allows Israel to be attacked and subdued by foreign nations. Eventually, the people cried out to God and God replies by sending a judge to save them. And this resulted in peace and prosperity while the judge lived. But after the judge died, the people again started worshipping other gods and the cycle repeats itself again. So again, at a time where Israel has spiralled down into worshipping other gods, we find ourselves in a place called Shiloh, where the tent of meeting, that's the predecessor to the temple, was set up and it's the main gathering place for the Israelites at this time. This photograph is actually the archaeological site of Shiloh today. In the story, by the time of Samuel, this tent of meeting is actually now called, quote, the house of the Lord. And this is probably because in verse 15, there's some mention now of it having doors and a doorpost. So it's taking on more of a physical structure. At this time, Israel was also in a famine. And this wasn't a famine of food. It was a famine of hearing the words of the Lord that we see in verse 1. Israel has lost its purpose and desperately needs the word of the Lord. But God isn't speaking yet. When God finally speaks both of our main characters, that's Samuel and Eli, they'll be taken by surprise. They'll be a little bit unsure how to respond because the voice of God has become so unfamiliar to them. So who is Samuel and who is Eli? Well, Samuel is a young boy working for the Lord under Eli the priest. Now, we don't know how old Samuel is here. He's certainly young enough to be under the instruction and care of Eli, so he's probably a child. And Samuel was the son of Hannah, who was a woman who couldn't have children. But Samuel was conceived as an answer to Hannah's prayer. And to fulfill her vow, he was given over to, uh, to God to work in the house of the Lord. Now, working in the house of the Lord was the priest Eli. And he's a man unsure of himself, but he's genuine in wanting to serve God and willing to act as a mentor to Samuel. But in the previous chapter, in chapter 2, God had rejected Eli, his sons, and their descendants from the priesthood because of a number of sins that they had committed, especially Eli's sons. Now Samuel will ultimately replace Eli as, and his sons as the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. So with that, let's dive into the story proper. Point number two, here I am. So let's have a look at the immediate setting here. So starting in verse one, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. So our story begins sometime between the middle of the night and the early morning, with Samuel sleeping in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the lamp of God and the ark of the covenant. Now both of these things actually represent the presence of God himself. So Samuel's probably hopeful that God will speak a word of truth to the people of Israel that has so far been lacking. 
Eli, on the other hand, was sleeping elsewhere in his, quote, usual place, wherever that is, probably in the outer court outside, but either way, out of the presence of God. Perhaps Eli is lacking hope that God will speak. Another point of interest is in verse 2. Eli was vision impaired, which is ironic because it isn't Eli who's about to receive a vision, it's going to be Samuel. So God's going to speak, starting in verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Now, would you get up early to answer the phone, especially if you didn't know who was calling? Now, the younger generation might not know what a phone call is because you guys text or you snap. But if you did answer the phone and heard an unfamiliar voice on the other end, would you respond with further words or would you hang up? Well, young Samuel is going to spring into action three times in the middle of the night or the early morning to receive a call without complaint, even after he wasn't needed two times beforehand. He's disciplined enough to get up when called and he did so repeatedly, showing how obedient he was. He is ready and he is eager. He is a qualified candidate to receive the word of the Lord. Yet, interestingly, despite all of this, Samuel didn't recognize the voice of the Lord because he didn't know the Lord, which is what we see in verse 7. Now, my dad's side of the family is complicated, but sometimes I'd receive a birthday or a Christmas gift from grandma, and I'd also receive a follow-up phone call from her. I only saw my grandma a number of times in my life, and I didn't really have a relationship with her. My dad would always tell me about her, like what she does, what she's doing, what she's seen, what she's saying. So I know a little bit about her, but I don't really know her personally. So I could never recognize her by her voice when she called me. But she did reveal herself to me in the phone call by saying, Hi Brett, it's me, Grandma. Now similarly, Samuel may have known a lot about the Lord. I mean, he was working in the house of the Lord after all. But Samuel didn't yet have a personal relationship with the Lord and he couldn't identify his voice when he called Perhaps Samuel's faith is a childish faith. That is, he's having the faith of his parents or of Eli. So this is the moment Samuel starts having his own personal faith with the Lord. But it's going to be what he's told from God that's going to prove whether or not God's word is true and meaningful. So let's have a look in verse 8. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now in the Bible, whenever something happens three times, you need to know that it means it's truly from God. Perhaps this is how Eli realized that the Lord 
was calling Samuel. But regardless, Eli gives Samuel some clear instructions about what to do to hear the word of the Lord. So in verse 10, the Lord came and stood there calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. Now, if your ears are burning, then it means someone is talking about you. But here, God says that what he's going to do in Israel is going to make everybody's ears tingle. Now, if your ears tingle in the Bible, it means that you are going to hear of God's coming judgment. So something bad is about to be said. Let's continue in verse 12. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Now, this might sound like a harsh judgment, but you might remember in chapter 2 last week that Eli's sons were scoundrels and they didn't know God. They helped themselves to the parts of the sacrificial animals that were reserved for God, like the fatty parts. And they made violent threats when they were challenged and they were sleeping around with the women. Now, imagine if someone got up here at church to service lead and they encouraged you to freely give your money and then at the end of the service, they went down the back and they helped themselves to the offertory box. Now, imagine that you saw this and you challenged them and then they threatened to hurt you. Also, imagine that this person was sleeping with the female members of our welcoming team. Now imagine that you raise this with our leadership, only to find out that Marshall doesn't do anything about this. <laughs> Maybe he gives them a single rebuke, and then he continues letting this person service lead for years. You also notice Marshall pulling up in his new Tesla. <laughs> you also notice that this service leader is actually one of Marshall's sons. Now, thankfully, this is not true. We love Marshall and we love his sons. But do you find this scenario shocking and disgusting if it were to be true? Now, this is the situation that Eli and his sons were in. God set up the sacrificial system at the time as the way of, pay, of um, sorry, saving people from their sins. Yet these priests, these were Eli's sons, they despised this very system. How could they possibly be saved from their sins if the system that they were abusing was the only way that they could be saved? They deliberately and they intentionally defied God and God's law and their sin could never be atoned for by sacrifice or by offering for this reason. And Eli knew about this and he basically did nothing. He said a single rebuke and he continued to let this go on for years. He sinned because he did nothing to restrain his evil sons. 
He let them continue practicing as corrupt priests. In fact, Eli himself was also eating the fatty parts of the sacrificial animals. Eli loved his sons more than he loved God, and this is why God spoke a word against him through Samuel. Let's continue the story in verse 15 and see what happens. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Now the truth can hurt. Telling God's word isn't easy. And despite God's word and Eli's threats, Samuel fearlessly speaks the word of the Lord. And Eli responds unusually, humbly, in verse 18. You see, in the previous chapter, another prophet already gave this word to Eli. But now God's speaking a second time to Eli, but through Samuel this time, confirming and reaffirming this word against him and his sons. You might notice that while he responds humbly in verse 18, Eli doesn't repent. He doesn't say sorry to God. He just accepts his fate. And I think this says a lot about how passive he is. It seems like Eli has drifted through life without making too much effort to change the way things are or the way things are done or to take responsibility. And so for this reason, it's going to be Samuel that God's going to raise up to replace Eli and also replace his sons to speak the word of the Lord to Israel. Verse 19 says, The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Bathsheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word, and Samuel's word came to all of Israel. And so we're in the beginning of this story. The word of the Lord was rare, and there weren't many visions. By the end of this story, the word of the Lord was everywhere, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, basically meaning the entire country of Israel. There was revival in Israel, and this revival started with God's Word, and it went where God's Word went. God continued to reveal Himself, it says. He revealed Himself to Samuel through His Word. And it wasn't just the first encounter with His Word, it was regular encounters with His Word. This Word didn't fall, meaning that God's words never failed. Everything that Samuel said came true. And Samuel was seen as a prophet because of the word of the Lord. It was the evidence that he was truly a prophet. But why did God's word matter to Samuel back then? Well, God's word matters to Samuel because God's word is truth and it ended up confirming and affirming Samuel's purpose as God's prophet to the people of Israel. 
And why did God's word matter to Israel back then? Well, Israel had rejected the Lord. They worshipped other gods and they were being oppressed and they desperately needed God's word to save them. But also it was to remind and renew their purpose, Israel's purpose as God's chosen people. But what about us? God's word still matters today the same way that it mattered back then. Many of us here might be feeling like we've lost our purpose in life and we're looking for God to speak directly to us. But should we be sleeping here at night in front of the cross where the band plays behind me, waiting to hear the voice of God speak directly to us? How desperate are we to hear the word of the Lord spoken and what should we expect when he does speak? And how would we respond? Would we respond in active obedience like Samuel? Or would we passively dismiss it and carry on drifting through life like Eli? We're up to our final point. He is already here. Before the Lord spoke to Samuel, the word of the Lord was rare. But today, the word of the Lord is not rare. God already speaks to us. Let me remind you what was said at the beginning of our recent Hebrews series. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. That's Jesus. For Israel in the Old Testament... God spoke through prophets such as Samuel. But today we don't need to sleep in the church and wait to hear the voice of God because God's already spoken to us through His Son, Jesus, the words of whom have been faithfully recorded in the Bible. And just hear what Jesus Himself has to say about the Bible in Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that includes Samuel, he, Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You know, Jesus himself says the entire Bible is about him. In fact, the words in the Bible are more than just God's word about Jesus, but that Jesus is the word. Look at me, look with me, sorry, at um, John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14. This might be familiar to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, that's Jesus, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the same way that God spoke uh, that God's word to Samuel was truth and gave him purpose as a prophet of God to speak God's word to all of Israel. So too, it's Jesus, God's word, who brings us truth and gives us purpose. Jesus is the word of God, which means that God's word is true, but also personal. When you read the Bible, you are not just reading about Jesus, you are actually relating to Jesus with Jesus speaking back to you. 
Now, before my daughter Olivia was born, Jeanette and I would read this book called What to Expect in the First Year. Perhaps some of the parents here have looked at this one. And this gave us information and a bunch of facts about, quote, babies in their first year. Now, if you read it before the baby is born, you get a very factual and seems like it's helpful guide about feeding and sleeping. But the problem is that without a real baby, this information is dead and ineffective. It's too abstract. There is nothing to ground it. But after our baby Olivia was born, we could now turn to the chapter on six months of age and we can start listening to this book to help us navigate her milestones and her sleep regressions. The book no longer spoke about this abstract, quote, baby, but now took root with our real living baby, Olivia. It became personal. In this way, the book became alive and active. In the same way, the Bible too is living and active. Again, in our Hebrew series recently, in chapter 4, verse 12, we saw this. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Friends, the word of God isn't dead and ineffective. It's living and active because Jesus is alive and active. And like God revealing himself to Samuel through his word... God reveals himself to us in Jesus through the Bible, reaching deep inside us spiritually and physically. But also like God speaking to Samuel, the word of God acts as Jesus himself, judging the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts, because the word is Jesus. Now, I wonder how much you think about that when you read the Bible, if you read the Bible. Well, for those of us who are less familiar with the Bible, that's on the left. <laughs> Perhaps you read it and like Samuel, you don't understand the voice or what it's saying to you and you need someone like Eli to help you decode the message. Now, this is where good teaching through conferences and Sunday sermons and podcasts and weekly Bible studies and personal quiet times with the Bible are going to make God's voice clearer to us. But I wonder how eager, disciplined and obedient we are to get up out of bed to hear like Samuel. I mean, many of us are struggling to get up out of bed for church. Can we really expect God to speak to us if we are asleep like Eli? Many of us want to do something great but are unwilling or are undisciplined. Are we being passive and are we drifting through life like Eli? I think we need to wake up and to be ready and eager to hear the word of the Lord like Samuel. And if you think you're too young or inexperienced, remember that Samuel was only a young boy. If God can work through a child, then he can most certainly work through you especially if you are an adult that still acts like a child. 
God will reveal himself to you through his word, and the more you recognize his voice, the more you'll know Jesus personally, the more you'll relate to him, and the more purpose that you will find through him. Now, what about those of us who are more familiar with the Bible? That's our Super Saiyan form on the right. Have you forgotten about God's Word or its power? Remember, it's alive and active. We're not waiting for anything else. We already have what we need. We have greater access to God's Word today than Samuel did back then. We have access to more than 100 complete English translations of the Bible, and it's on your phone right now. Perhaps the problem is that it is too accessible and we are too saturated by it to consider opening it and reading it because we think that we know it. God's word started a revival in Israel and he did it through Samuel and God might do the same through us. Now, if you're older and uh, more experienced like Samuel was, don't waste your knowledge and your experience. And if you don't think much of yourself, remember that God worked through a childless woman. Her name was Hannah. He spoke through a decrepit priest. His name was Eli. And he worked through a helpless young child, Samuel. Don't pass the baton to the younger generation. And I don't mean youth or young children. I just mean anyone younger than you. Don't wait until you're empty, nesting or retired to have the time to act and make change using God's word. Why not make time today to read the Bible one-to-one with someone who is younger than you and encourage them? Or better yet, take on a new challenge. Lead a Bible study, lead youth group, or lead another ministry activity because your knowledge will help younger people hear God's voice more clearly and your experience will help younger people relate better to Jesus because they will see a real living example of a life lived for Jesus. And if any of you still doubt yourself, consider this final inspirational quote. If you're serious about changing your life, you'll find a way. If you're not, you'll find an excuse. If we want to know God, if we want Him to speak directly to us, if we want to know Jesus... If we want to know him personally, if we want to see a revival, then we need to listen to his word and speak about it fearlessly. Because the word of God is alive and active. Because Jesus is alive and active. And praise be to God. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we ask for your help um, if we don't understand your word or we have, stro- uh, we have trouble hearing your voice, Lord, please speak to us through your word, the Bible. Give us opportunity, give us a heart willing to open it up and read it to learn more about um, the Bible and to hear you speak to us through it, Lord, to see that we can have a personal relationship with your son, Jesus, and that you'll give us meaning and purpose through it as well. And Lord, for those of us who are more saturated with the word and uh, have a personal relationship with you, Lord. Please encourage us to continue to speak that word, to look for new opportunities, uh, to meet with uh, people who are younger than us and to share what we know, uh, share our experience with them. 
and to be an encouragement to the next generation, Lord. And uh, please just be with us as a church as we navigate these uh, things and remind us daily to, um, to connect with you through prayer and reading your word, the Bible. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.